How's it going? Yeah, no, things are going going good. Yeah, I've had a, a bit of an easy day today, just yeah, easy ride kind of in between races, but yeah, it's good. Are you um, in the Netherlands now or do you guys have like another home base with Trinity? Uh, Belgium is where our, our base is. So um, yeah, we're racing in the Netherlands this weekend, but yeah, most of our races are in Belgium. So yeah, this is our base. Okay, awesome. Is the, um, do you got some other teammates there with you? Uh, I did last week. Chiara from Italy was also racing out here, but she's just gone home to have her kind of bit of off season. And then I think she's coming back in, uh, in December. So yeah, for now it's just, it's just me. Okay, great. What about, um, will you head up to the race today, tomorrow morning? Uh, tomorrow. Yeah. So it's like three, four hours. Uh, okay. so I'm going to do my openers in the morning, just at home and then, then head up and do a little roller spin and then I'll be ready for, for Saturday. Okay, great. You know, that's an interesting thing with openers. Um, we have a discord chat for the evoke athletes and, okay. uh, there's always this question about if you're going into a race weekend, should you do openers when you're traveling? Should you not do openers? Do you typically always try to get something in? Um, yeah, but the, the kind of opener session is really like loose. There's no real structure to it. Um, I have a guide in my head of what I know kind of works for me, but yeah, for example, today, like I felt pretty rough on the bike and didn't feel great. So tomorrow I imagine I'll just go in and and see and see how I feel. Whereas if, if I've come off like a really easy week, I would put a bit of emphasis on, yeah, really getting a good effort in to get that kind of. Yeah, for me in the in the head, it's all just like the feeling, the feeling of like going right into deep into your chest and then it's and then it's out. Yeah, I think a lot of it is mental, right? It's like yeah, it's just awesome. whatever works for you, whatever makes you feel good going into race day. Yeah. No, exactly. So for me, yeah, I'm I'm not the best at sprinting. So I kind of I do want to do that a little bit the day before just to feel that. But um and then yeah. So like three sprints, five minutes at tempo, and then a couple of one minutes just, but those kind of one minutes at the end are a lot more yeah, dependent on, on how I feel. But as long as I do that kind of five minutes of like five, 10 minutes of like solid tempo, I feel like I've kind of got enough, enough in there. But yeah, for cross, because it's so short, but so intense, like you, if you go in super, super chill and super recovered and, and not very open, you can basically miss the gun. Like you can really, yeah, you, you do need to be right on it from the first lap. Whereas I think with road racing, I think those openers are maybe oh yeah, more of a mental thing. So you can go in knowing that when the race starts going, you, you can have it. So there's a little bit of a difference there for me. hundred percent. Yeah. What about on race day? Do you have like a, a specific warm up you do? Yeah. Also like with cross racing that it's very flexible. Um, when we're racing, yeah, like two or three times a week, the war for me, the warm up is the worst part of the day. I absolutely hate it. Like it's so monotonous and just like, it's, it's when you feel the worst on the bike. I think anyway, like I'm nervous, my legs feel slow and I just, I just know I've got to get it out of the way and then I can go to the start. Um, but I do try and remind myself like, yeah, just give it, enough attention and then it's out of the way and then you know you've done everything you have to do so for me that's yeah it's fairly similar to the to the, the day before openers but yeah 10 minutes easy riding and then uh kind of a five ten minute ramp just to get all the way get the heart rate all the way up to almost max by the end another five minutes easy and then some just rev outs um at the end so i've i have experimented with my warm-up of the years and my start is not the best. So I think there's still possibly some things that we could do with the warm up protocol. Um, definitely my caffeine protocol has improved over the last few years and that's helped on that first lap. Um, but yeah, with the warm up, it's always difficult because there's always going to be a minimum of 20 minutes before where you, where you aren't on the, on the rollers. So it's like, yeah, how hot do you come off the, off the warm up to then? Yeah have nothing and then for 20 minutes and then and then you're racing or yeah a lot of guys when we race at 3 p.m they uh they go for like a very easy ride in the morning um so like one like 30 minutes one hour in the morning and then that's kind of part of their warm-up so it means that when they get to the race yeah they i guess they're in that kind of their legs are already yeah the blood's going around everything but yeah there's uh, there's loads all that stuff with routine there's loads in it but a lot of it is just very personal 
hundred percent. It's finding what works for you. I'm yeah. curious though, when you said your caffeine, what have you experimented? Are you doing more caffeine, less caffeine or when you're taking it? Yeah. So I don't have caffeine day to day. I don't drink coffee or anything. So for me, I think there were some good benefits to be had from properly doing caffeine. So, um, yeah, I'm just basing on the loading of the kind of 45, 50 minutes before for the main bit of caffeine. And then the gel I have just before the race is at about five minutes. And that's kind of, yeah, to get me the kind of, yeah, that 45 minutes before is for the start. And then that other gel is maybe towards the end. I think carbs for me are never really an issue. Like for an hour race, you'd be doing pretty well to, to bunk if you are eating a normal amount of food. But as yeah it's more like the the timing and and the personal side of it like yeah not eating so much food that you just feel sick so just like looking after looking after yourself i know that you have your nutrition dialed um i'm gonna do a link if anybody doesn't know who cameron is you got the amazing youtube channel and on instagram and everything um you got some great content there but is the caffeine is that just kind of part of your nutrition or is that specific for racing is that uh, like a tool there um, in what respect, what do you mean by I guess, the, around the racing? Yeah. I guess what I meant was with you, um, kind of, um, uh, I can't, I'm losing, losing my words here, but, um, with your caffeine intake, kind of, um, having it only on race day, is that something specific for competition? Um, not really like it's, I don't drink coffee, just a personal thing. Like it's not, I would it's not like I'm staying away from it. I know that some riders do like think if they are really into their coffee then they like get maybe a little bit worried that they are kind of stimulating it a lot and they need a lot then extra because I was looking a little bit at Alex Dowsett's record and he was saying about how he was literally having hundreds and hundreds of milligrams of caffeine for the attempt because uh, they had a full caffeine yeah protocol for him there which yeah that's that's a very one-time thing I don't think for me even after Sunday's most recent race uh by racing at yeah 305 p.m and loading caffeine for that, I didn't sleep very well the day after the night after, and I had the a race the next day. So that's a, a quite important thing, I think, to also think about. Um, yeah, long term, like not not going mad with that, but um, no, yeah, around the race, it's yeah, purely yeah, performance. Yeah, I guess I was thinking of an interview that I read with Jeremy Powers was talking about when he went into cross season, he would change his caffeine dosage so he would get more out of it on race day. Um, but he was more of a regular coffee drinker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's, it's in, that's interesting. And like, uh, yeah, like I've experimented a little bit with different types of like getting my caffeine, like gels, and also uh, with like caffeine chewing gum because uh, it's quite a nice thing to go to the race with. Um, also, another thing from Jeremy Powers. I remember seeing it was at Cross Vegas. He would take a little bit of gum to the start line just to keep his mouth kind of, yeah, going good. But if you do that with a caffeine chewing gum, it's even better because you're getting it straight in. Um, but for me, yeah, just like 75 milligram caffeine gels is, is good for me. So what about going back to race day? What time are you typically arriving on course? These are like this questions the athletes always have. Like, I know it's different for you. You're racing in the afternoon. You have all day. So maybe you have some nerve. What are you doing? What's your race day routine? And what do you do to kind of deal with like, okay, you have all day to worry about the race. Yeah, that's, well, yeah. Like when, especially like in Belgium, a lot of the races are quite close. So say the drive is only 30 minutes. Yeah, that's all morning. You've got to yeah be inside your own head but i try and keep my routine the same for everything so uh whether i'm racing at 11 12 or at three my routine is the same so uh i want to arrive at the race three and a half hours before and that gives me the first little half hour to just sort everything out with the mechanics or with or with with things and then my pre-race meal is is exactly three hours before and that's uh just some simple pancakes and some and some raspberries and a bit of maple syrup um with that as well like it's i cook a set amount of them um but normally i save a few uh for just to kind of snack on going out so i eat i eat the majority in one go and then that three hours gives it time to to get through me and then i'm riding on course two and a half hours before um that's half an hour of practice and then uh finishing that shower change pin on numbers and then there's usually about 45 minutes, an hour of chill time. And for me, that's, yeah, music or maybe 
watching the women's race on TV, um, especially if it's like changing conditions and the weather and everything. You just want to see like, are they all crashing on the first corner or are they running this section? Um, some people I think maybe wouldn't like to do that because it would get them quite nervous. And it does for me, like I'm literally watching these, these women like, yeah, suffering and going super hard. I'm like, well, I've got to do that in like an hour. But if you just, I would just tune in for like one lap, just see what's going on and then switch it off and then put my music back on. Uh, and then like 45, 50 minutes before the race on the, on the rollers or the turbo for, 20, 25 minutes. Um, sometimes, like we were saying before, with that warm up, I might feel I only need like 10 minutes warm up because I'm knackered. I, I can feel legs from the next day. So I'm like, I'm just going to hop on with for 10 minutes and then that's me done. Whereas, say I've come off a big training block and I haven't had that race feeling for a while, I would maybe, maybe prolong that. Um, and then it's, yeah, 20 minutes before the race, off, off the warm up, uh, change base layer to the start and then. And then away we go. What about on speaking of watching the women's race? Do you ever have? Is there any? Is there time for communication? Like, say, can you talk to some of the women racers before you go on course? Does that ever happen? Yeah. So if, yeah, if I have a female teammate at the race, like our our schedules kind of cross over. So as I arrive to the race, she's finishing her uh, practice laps, so I get a little bit of information there. And then when I'm on the rollers, uh, her race their race would just finish and I would, yeah, maybe chat to them for a few minutes. Um, also the same when I finish my, uh, practice, she's on, uh, her warm up. So then that's a good opportunity to go like, ah, this corner has changed loads or you'll be fine here or, or something like that. Um, cause yeah, I think it's, especially for that for once you're in the race, it's the same for everyone, but if you can get a little bit more knowledge or a little bit more, yeah, know how for that first lap, it does make a difference. No, for sure. I'm thinking about the the last couple of World Cups at the U.S. Um, there was like in the women's race, it was dry. Then it started to yes. rain at the end. And I know some people were changing from files to mids just and they hadn't done any practice runs on the mids. Yeah. Um, what I was going to yeah, say also for, for your warm up, um, are you again, super personal, but I'm just curious here. Like a lot of people say like they get in that mindset of like, okay, I'm going to war. And then some people are like, um, I want to stay cool and calm. Um, do you have like kind of a headspace you like to get into? Yeah, I think for well, the mental side of it is is massive, and it's something that I think I've improved a lot over the last year. Like uh, through my injuries that I've had this this summer, um, the kind of psychology I've gone into more. I've been seeing uh, a psychologist about my racing and about my injuries and stuff, and. I think it's given me just that little bit of a different level to my understanding of yeah how my own mind works and yeah and it's been interesting like the four races I have done in this this season already I I don't think I've ever felt more chilled about racing at this level and that's a real yeah a real kind of yeah a real change like I always have those good nerves and those good nerves come in in that kind of one hour in between before but everything up to that feels like like easy like like it is my day job so there i think there's something in that um showing that yeah i'm i'm coming into my own and stuff but even like so on uh on monday we raced on the koppenberg and the day before i had a really good ride and i definitely felt just personal pressure to then back that up um and i was starting to feel a little bit overwhelmed uh but through the summer we worked on techniques to to focus my attention um so i did yeah nine ten minutes of just attention practice before i went on to onto the warm-up and off the back of that i felt great so like it's it's amazing like i wasn't equipped with that skill before this season uh and i feel loads loads better for it that's great congratulations yeah congrats on the result too your second on monday that's amazing yeah boys yeah it already feels like ages ago now but um yeah, it was a savage race and I definitely just raced it my own race. I don't know that it's basically a big cow field and then the cobbled climb, like it's very polarized. Um, and the speeds were so low, it was super heavy going. And I knew if you tried to respond to anyone, went into the red that you would just make a mistake. So I knew that Pim Ronar, the world champ was just kind of around the corner and I was just yeah, riding my own race. And as soon as he made one mistake, I would ride back up to the wheel and he would get away and it was just this kind of constant yo-yoing and 
in the end, I was catching, 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 and then he just kind of pit me at the end by yeah, five seconds or so, uh, which, yeah, after a race like that, it's, it's quite a close gap, really, on a course on a course like that, where, I yeah, I wouldn't say we were actually racing each other directly. We were both just trying to get to the finish as fast as possible, which is quite a quite a cool kind of, yeah, way to race a bike race. That's interesting. You know, people talk about that all the time, about a lot of courses as they change or in I'm saying weather conditions, but even just courses in general that you're not necessarily racing the, you know, your fellow athletes, you're just racing the course. Yeah, exactly. That. That's what my uh, mechanic is an ex pro rider. And we just chatted before the race and said, yeah, you just race your own race. You focus on what you're doing. That might mean you're out the front and people come up to you. That might mean you're coming through the, the, the group. Um, but yeah, just focus on yourself and it worked. It worked well. So I want to talk about your injuries. I know you've, you've battled through major adversity, but going back to like racing your own race with the UCI points being changed or being erased, people say, I talk too much about UCI points, but I think this is big. Um, I'm sure that was probably a change for you going into these races. You, you did the videos about starting at the back. How did that change your mindset going into some of these races? Yeah, I think I'm a pretty good example of someone that's, yeah, maybe come with, with a bit of a short straw with that because they reset it after worlds and continuing with the world's points. And uh, I didn't race worlds because of injury. So I started with bang on zero and I did, I think if I'd put more effort and attention into it, I could have started my cross season super early and maybe done a kind of Vincent Bastines program and got out to America and all this stuff um, to build that. But I just didn't really have the, have the means to do that. So yeah, starting in the back every time. Um, but I've managed to, even in four races, amass yeah, plenty of points. So for me, it's not really an issue. And But yeah, it, it just depends. Some of the races are, have such a harsh cutoff, really. Like you, you go to a, a Belgian UCI race, and if you're not in the top 15, you get no points. So you could battle a whole season of Belgian racing and, and come out at the end of it with no, no, no UCI points to show for it. Versus you could be a, a British UK racer and there's five UCI races, six UCI races in the year and you can finish in the top five at every one. So it's, that's a good thing, I think, because then it, yeah, with those UCI points, you should be encouraged to then go and race World Cups or international events and that kind of will hopefully raise people's levels. But um, I definitely feel for the, the Belgian national riders who just, yeah, they have to travel to different countries and all this to, to get their UCI points because where they live is the home of their sport and it's the home of the top, top level of sport. So it's almost like, I think with what they're doing with the World Cup, 16 World Cups, the kind of level below at the moment is like Superstige and, and uh, X2O trophy. That's basically still the same level as World Cup. So almost you need another level to that, which is like semi-amateur that can help Belgian cross because it's quite savage place to uh, i'm sure you'll know about the road racing as well it's quite a savage place to be a bike rider um it makes great talents and they have such a massive pyramid of of talent but yeah oh, you you only see the best of the best uh whereas for a lot like i think in america and i think in the uk the amateur scene is very strong and and has real good roots and all this so in in belgium it's maybe not so much so these are these are going to be my words not yours but it's like the U.S., you know, I'm, I'm based out of the U.S., but the U.S., right, the, the, the racing here just isn't at the level as the Belgium racing, you know. So you get guys racing C1s and C2s here who accumulate a lot of points. They go over, race the World Cups, and they're ahead of some guys who have been racing in, you know, the hardest Belgium races. Do you think, um, maybe this is a controversial question, do you think that's maybe a little bit why the U.S. riders kind of, I'm not going to use the word, not disrespect, but maybe just aren't viewed in the same light as some of the other racers? Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's I'm, putting, very I'm putting you on the spot. I know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's parts of that that have been that I can kind of see with, uh, match up to like being a UK rider as well. And more now that the UK, the UK scene has more UCI races yeah, maybe lesser riders could come to Europe and get gridded at the front. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, when I started watching cyclocross, yeah, when I was like 10 or 11, finding the dodgy streams online in Belgium, um, Jeremy Powers always had a front row grid. And I think that was important for the sport. It's visibility. It's all this stuff. And and Ian Field, the kind of representative of, of the UK scene, he was always just peeking out there in that second row because he, he was amassing points. Um, so if, yeah, if every nation can kind of have their little rider at the front, then it's important for for internet, the international side. Uh, but only if they can actually see that on the TV. So now we have coverage. Now we have things like GCN that are showing it to loads of different countries. That is is good. And um, But we are also in a sport that if you don't have good gridding, you can have a really bad race and that will affect yeah, the, the actual running of the, the race itself. So yeah, it's that balance between making it for everyone. But then if you're chucking Belgian guys in the middle of the pack that otherwise would have been animating the race, then it's like, what, what are you sacrificing here? You're maybe sacrificing how good the actual race is. So. No, that's a great point. That's ultimately what I was getting at. I think it's, there are plus and minuses to it all, you yeah. know, pros and cons. Um, but you are out there in the thick of it. These, you're racing the hardest races and you're getting these points. So congratulations, man. Thank you. Yeah, no, and, and I think with how the season starts in America, I think it's a good way for the Europeans to kind of, yeah, immerse themselves a little bit more in the American way of racing. And then it means that when those American riders come over, I, I, I think a lot of them have just finished a big block, right, with this kind of US uh, kind of series. And I imagine they'll be starting to come over to Europe in the next next month or so. Uh, and then it's almost like, yeah, around Christmas time with those World Cups, you have a full international field again. Uh, at the moment, it's kind of a bit of a weird for the American riders, like a weird middle ground of, yeah, some have made the trip, but not really many. It's literally just Candale, isn't it? Well, it's just Hunsinger, really. I think it's just Clara. Yeah, there's a few more UCI races. There's a race, there's a race in Massachusetts this weekend, and right. then another one actually in Massachusetts the following weekend. But yeah. then I think most people will go over or maybe take a little rest block and then go for yeah. the curse period. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Um, what about, so staying on the topic of the, of the U.S., I don't think you, have you done any races in the U.S.? I didn't see anything. Yeah. No but you'll be coming over for world championships, right? Uh, if I get selected, I hope I will get selected. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's the plan. And it, it would be my first time. I was supposed to be racing in, uh, in those three world cups with my teammate, Chris Blevins. Uh, but he decided to cut his season a bit earlier so he could have his well-deserved rest. Um, so for me, I ended up just yeah, rescheduling to start in Belgium. Um, but yeah, I was watching the world cup because it's this, for the same course. And yeah, it was interesting. I think I I did tweet publicly that I thought it was just way too wide. Everything was just like eight meters wide, like ridiculously wide. And I and it's this, it's like that for all world champs courses for some reason. I can't get my head around how like I think course designers must just arrive and go, oh yeah, like there's going to be loads of people on track. There's going to be loads of spectators. We just make need to make it incredibly wide. They make it super wide. And then the riders will ride on the other side of that. We're just miles away from the spectators. So I think that's, yeah, I, I would appreciate if they make things a bit narrower. Um, but overall, I think it's an interesting course, a bit of climbing, which I, I think will suit me. Um, it's interesting that because of the, it's, I think it's fairly new ground, isn't it? Like new grass and stuff, how it just looked like a big sponge they were riding over a lot of the time. Um because yeah because it was just like turf on top but i wonder how that will kind of bed in ready for for worlds so i talked to carrie werner yesterday and we were talking about the course and yeah it was all sod apparently there was this whole thing i won't get too much into it but they they, the uci wasn't happy with their grass or they they put sod down and then with the conditions apparently all the sod was just completely destroyed so they're gonna have to redo everything and they might change it up so i guess they're making some tweaks to the course yeah. But, um, but yeah, the word you used interesting, that was pretty much the same. Everyone I've talked to was like, yeah, it's, it's interesting. They said it was more like a, like a cross country course, you know, more like a mountain bike huh. course. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I see what they've done with a few bank turns and stuff. And that's, yeah, that's interesting in terms of that we don't see it very often. And there's a little bit of like, oh, will it work? Like, is that something, is there a reason we don't see it that often? Um, but yeah, there's, there's something, I think there's something in that course for everyone. Um, I was a bit 
confused at why the the steps are amazing, super hard, everything. And then you get to the top of the hill and then you just ride directly back down. And I was like, <laughs> I just watched that and got, oh my God, I, we're going to have to climb up like 36 steps, whatever it is. And then just go no breaks back downhill with like no corners. And so I hope they put in like a horrible little dog leg or a horrible off camera to make most of that amazing bit of climbing you just did. Because the little like lumps and jumps were cool, but the reality in a race, everyone will get on at the top, clip in and then just free wheel down and it, there will nothing will have happened in that whole section. I know, um, you know, so. the good news, I do think that they are working on changing that specific area. Cause I think you had like oh. the little like bumps with the off cambers after that. I think they're yeah. going to change that. And it um, looks like they have, they have lots to work with like the tree section, everything. So no, it's, it's great. They've done that t- test event and I didn't even race it and I've got things to say. So yeah, they shouldn't really be listening to me. They should be listening to other people uh, who actually did the race because yeah, they had a great, a great field for it. Well, what about so for European champs on Saturday? Do you, is this a new course? It is. And from what I've heard, it's maybe quite similar to Worlds, like on an artificial hill um, with a bit of cobbles. Um, I think I've heard it's going to be quite heavy going. Um, and yeah, but new courses is always good. Uh, everyone's kind of goes there with the same, with the same knowledge. Whereas if you go to like a classic, there's, there's this already like, oh, he's the favorite because he's won there before or like he never does well in this race. So I think that's nice to keep it open. It's nice to have a balance there. I love watching the classics courses, but it is nice to see something new. Just like you said, everyone's experiencing it for the first yes. time. What's the, uh, what's the weather look like? Uh, it's been very wet for the last week in Belgium and Netherlands. It's going to be relatively dry leading up to it, but I think the the damage has been done with the, with the rain. So um like Koppenberg well it rained like loads in Overizer as you'll maybe seen on TV and then that already affected Koppenberg and then it rained again and then it's rained again today and yesterday so yeah it's yeah it's gonna be wet have you have you done any specific training I guess this is a bigger question specific training for this course and will you do any specific training for other courses going into them um yeah well after the first week of first weekend of racing, which for me was Riddervoort and uh, Zonhoven, there were a few little things that we picked up on that maybe need a little bit of work. Like my running wasn't particularly strong and just general things. But already last week, we did a specific kind of Euros session, uh, which was a kind of pyramid type uh, effort session because I think that, yeah, that kind of very polarized effort that you do on a hilly course um i just wanted to get a good solid session like that in last week so it was a a one two three minute uh, up and then down all at basically max and the the time off was i did it on like a flat canal with a tailwind so that the the time off was 100 percent freewheeling and then to, and then yeah just totally on at zone whatever six or zone five or I don't. I wasn't even looking at the power. I was just like gritting through it, and then it, it was what it was. I think I dropped off quite a bit towards the end, but that's that's normal. And yeah, it was nice to yeah. So we, that's that was the one kind of specific session we did last week. Okay, yeah. I feel like a lot of cross training is like that. You know, it's like max watts. You know, it's just you're yes. just going as hard as you can. Yeah. Um. What about what's the balance of your training? Well. I want to know what you do in the season, but then going for preseason, what's the balance of like road riding and mountain bike riding and on time on the cross bike? Is it kind of just like advantageous, do whatever? Or I think I read an interview where you said you did mostly road. Yeah. So at the moment I would say, uh, out of the five kind of training days a week, uh, only one is on the cross bike. Um, but then in the seven days of the week, that's more like three out of seven because of the, the racing days. So, uh, yeah, normal training week is Monday, easy day and an easy run Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday is the kind of work block. Um, and then Friday is either depending on how we've done the week is either a total easy day with an easy ride or kind of reopening back up sometimes with that, with that in between, you maybe get the work done a bit earlier in the week. Sometimes you would back up the race for us. Like on the Monday, you would go out and you would do an endurance backup. Um, and then you would then have your rest day on the Tuesday. 
so yeah, there's, there's ways of doing it, but the, the balance between training and recovering is, yeah, it's, is really tough for cross. Um, and there are things that I take off in the week. Like I want to go for a run and then Wednesday I always do, uh, cyclocross training on the actual bike. Um, and then by the weekend again, you're hopefully ready, ready to go. Yeah. I think cross and I'd like to know your opinion here is like, there's so much data you can track in cycling in general. Right. You know, but when it comes to cross, it's really going into how you feel. Cause like those, those cross races are so hard to measure. You got heart rate and you got power metrics and stuff, but really how you feel and how much recovery you need is all specific to that, you know, the athlete. Yeah. Yeah. And is it interesting? I, uh, I rode one of my bikes at Koppenberg had a power meter on it. So I was recording power every other lap basically. Um, and I think I recorded a full race of power a few years ago and made a video about it. And it was basically, yeah, just mega spiky. Uh, but the heart rate for every race is just like that boom solid for me at my threshold every time, like every other race, maybe I set a new like heart rate threshold. It's literally just always sitting around that. Um, so yeah, like the training for that is, yeah. How do you get your heart rate up to there and then continue to produce? Yeah. Watts. Um, so yeah, like the data isn't that important. As you say, a race is a race. One hour fuel gas is, is always, is always like that, but it does depend like in my feedback, I would be quite, um, I would put in detail what that race did feel like because the difference between uh, like a fast dry race, one hour full gas is very different to a really heavy running race full gas. So um, I would say they're both on training peaks, they would both be like a nine or 10 out of 10, but the kind of how that actually feels is a little bit different. Um, and I expect you yeah, feel that the next day. So like a really fast, like crit, crit race one, you, you go really deep, but you're not, abs- you're not quite like totally like, done by the end whereas a mud race you are no for sure and i think some of those races do all the races deal you need concentration don't get me wrong but some of those races were muddier you got those conditions and like you really got to concentrate change your line choice you can't just kind of go into autopilot and all those laps yeah and yeah yeah it's like as we were saying before about sometimes you have to race your own race and you race the course but then these for me the the races where you always have to be switched on to everyone around you. I find a little bit harder, not really coming much from the road background. Um, I find the positioning and the using your energy in certain parts a little bit harder. Um, I prefer the kind of mountain bike effort, which is you're basically riding a time trial. Normally you're, you're riding to your own ability. Whereas having someone else put the hurt on you is I'm not so, I'm not so used to, um, but it's something I'm, getting better at with a little bit of road racing I've done this year and also want to improve next year. Okay, great. Um, off topic question, but I want to go back to that. This came up in the, in the chat again, is there a limit to how many bikes you can bring in the pit with you? Uh, mm, there's a limit to the amount of people. Um, but I, I can't really see there being a limit of like, uh, I can't remember what world champs it was. Maybe it was, uh, in Denmark and yeah, you drive, you, when I would ride past Matthew Vanderpoel's, um, like setup, I think he had six bikes with him, uh, for the race. So he had like three and three, um, and quite a few of them went to the, went to the pits. And I think he's probably got nightmares from that world's in, uh, in Beals where he punctured every half lap that he's, cause they ran out of wheels basically in that race. So he kept puncturing, kept puncturing and the, the, his mechanics had to go and ask other teams for wheels to put into his bikes because I think he punctured like 13 times in the race, which you just, you just can't get your head around and wow, punctured once. And uh, yeah, it's, it's mad, but he like broke wheels, punctured everything and literally ran out of, uh, equipment. <laughs> so I could, I could be wrong here, but is that the one where Wout had the green Michelin yeah. tire? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And yeah, that's actually, I asked that the, this question came up cause I was thinking about, I remember seeing that photo of Vanderpool with like six bikes and I was like, yeah. can he, is he bringing all these to the pit with him? Um, but yeah, but, um, but going back to, we are talking about training. Um, Oh, I lost my train of thought. We'll, we'll come back to it. Um, in, 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 in the, uh, in the off season, my bike split is a little bit different. Okay. Is that what you're, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So, yeah. yeah. So how much time are you spending then on, um, I know you've, you've done some gravel riding and stuff. Are you, are you kind of like, is your training plan, like go out and ride for a certain amount of hours and you can pick which bike are you getting nailing it? I'm sure like on interval days, you're getting specific, but what kind of, what does that look like in the preseason? Uh, it depends. Some of those rides are like that, but there's like a set duration and a set intensity. And then the rest is up to me. That would normally be like on a Saturday or Sunday, like a Sunday ride for me is like an endurance long day. And I can, if I feel like riding five hours mountain bike, I'll do that or gravel or road. Um, I prefer, it's quite specific to what I'm training for. So this year I've done a little bit more gravel racing. So I would maybe actually do my efforts on the gravel bike on off-road. But then there's some type of efforts you just, you would need to do on a road bike, like really long efforts where you have a long road or a stretch of un, like un, uh, unimpeded kind of yeah road um but yeah like if i have a mountain bike race coming up then the mountain bike time will go up um but generally i think i ride yeah two or two bikes a week um never really three because that is quite a lot of switching i'm dead lucky to be able to ride with all these bikes is amazing but yeah doing a mountain bike ride and then doing a gravel ride and doing a road ride and there's li- those little things that you have to change with your riding each time. It, it does add up. I think I'm quite good at switching bikes and like the, a lot of the best riders are like Vanderpol can just, yeah, next day go race a world cup and all this stuff. Um, but if you do it too often, you never really kind of get settled. Um, last year I probably did the most road riding I've ever done. Um, and by the end of the year, I really felt like a strong road rider, like being able to hold speed and all this. So there's something to be said, I think, for, yeah, it, the if you want to accumulate those hours by doing it on one bike, you will get very good at it. No, definitely. You know, and I think you hit the nail on the head there when you think of guys like Pidcock and Vanderpool who are so good at everything, like yeah. a really good top level. And everyone wants to be the same, of course, you know, but it's spending time on some specific bikes, especially going into whatever your goal races are. I think there's just like you said, like there's something to be said for accumulating time on your race bike. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's a reason that like, yeah, it will be the same with, with Tom and, and Vanderpool, like 90% of their riding will be on the road bike. Um, and because that is really their main goal is, is the world tour. So that's, yeah, the, if they spent all their time on the mountain bike, they'd be, they would be better mountain bike riders, but that's not what maybe what they're focusing for. Yep. That's a really good point. So speaking specifically of cross, then how much people are always asking like skills and drills, you know, and there's, there's a lot of stuff to do. Is there anything specifically that you like to do going into cross season that gets you prepared? Um, yeah, like, oh, there are like some specific things that are really important for cross, but I find mostly just being comfortable off-road helps, does most of it for me. So yeah, because I ride my mountain bike through the summer and the gravel and all this, uh, by the time it gets to cross season, I don't really, it feels just normal, like jump on the cross bike and and yeah, things are kind of where they should be. This year actually was probably the least amount of cross time I've ever done and it's the best season I'm ever having. So I don't really think there's a direct correlation between loads of cross bike time, even though what we just discussed about riding and training the bike will help. I think maybe it might be personal that I'm, I find it quite easy to then just hop into the racing. Um, ideally, yeah, you would do, you'd be on your cross bike doing the specifics, the dismounts, the off cameras, um, maybe stuff you wouldn't do in normal training. But for me, I didn't really need to do that this year. So um, I'll probably keep that in mind for next year that it doesn't need so much time. And you know what I think the caveat is with someone like you and some of these other elite racers I've talked to is that you've been doing it at such a high level for so long, you know, where someone yeah. like me or people listening who don't, don't have those years of hard efforts in their legs spending a bit more time on the cross bike is advantageous when you get to Cameron's level, maybe you can dial it back a little bit. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, exactly. It's, it's like the context of it because where I left off at the end of last season was like a good level. And then to then get back to that is not too hard. Whereas, and also my roof, I'm maybe a little bit closer to my roof of technical skill. Whereas if you're a lot down here, there's, there's loads of room for the, for the improvement. And, and that's actually, 
uh, with just a little bit of work that you can, you're in that stage where just a little bit of work really can get you far. Whereas if I wanted maybe another two, three percent of confidence and like technical ability, it would take you yeah, some real solid practice. And I don't really think anyone in top level cyclocross is really doing that because at the end of the day, like you don't win the bike race in one corner, you win it in the whole, in the whole package. So you need to kind of take that in, but for someone at a more amateur level, that whole package, the technical ability might be something that can really, really help with, with everything else. Definitely. So you had said before you were hoping to do some more road racing. That's what I lost my train of thought on earlier. Um, is that just, do you enjoy the road racing or is that kind of a long-term goal to get into road racing? Uh, I don't really enjoy it. I'm learning <laughs> to enjoy it this year. Um, it's something I did a little bit when I was like a, like a youth. Uh, so 12, 13, 14, just kind of crit racing in Scotland. And uh, I just wasn't strong and I wasn't good enough. And just like, I didn't really see the appeal of going along to these races and getting dropped because I wasn't good enough. So I went and did more of the things I was good at at the time, which was mountain biking and cyclocross. So there's definitely like a nature nurture thing there. Like I just did the things I was good at. So that's why I didn't do much road. Um, but yeah, this year with, with my injury back in April, I, I haven't, I didn't ride off road all summer. And when I was allowed to ride again, it was all on the road. So the racing I did uh, end up being on the road and um, it's been interesting. Yeah. Like the, the physical side as I've grown as a rider and, and developed, like, I think if you're a strong rider in any discipline, you can, you can do well on the road, but the tactics and the, and the mental side, like what is a massive, massive thing that I have only just started to try and figure out. Like my coach and mentor is, is an ex kind of British uh, champion on the road and in crits and yeah, there's just so much to go into and he's got like 20, 30 years of road racing experience. And he like, like I actually was able to race with him in a, in a Scottish road race. And yeah, he maybe physically isn't as good as he used to be, but the way that someone like that can read a race and still just pull out a result, I just can't get my head around that. It's like, I should beat you any day or like I can drop you, whatever, but he's just still there or like still got that kick. And then when you kind of scale it up to the world tour, you think, yeah, that's why guys can, can win these races. They might not be the most, yeah, physiologically gifted riders in the world, but that doesn't matter if you win the bike race. Um, whereas in mountain bike and cross, I don't think there's any of that to hide behind, which I kind of like because I'm good at that. Um, but with, with the road, I, I can definitely see the, um, the attraction of uh, that kind of romantic, like sometimes it doesn't work, sometimes it works, all this. And I think as I get better th at that, then of course I'll do more of it. Yeah. You know, the word I always throw around for these races is artistry. And I think it's just a different, it's a different type of artistry in the road. You know, just like you said, tactics and yeah. reading what's happening when you said, I'm sure you're soaking up knowledge in all these races and with your mentor, is there anything specific that you've picked up or that you're working on, you know, so far? Um, it's just kind of the, literally the basics like positioning, uh, yeah. Using effort, looking after myself. Like it didn't take long for me to work out the fueling type thing. Like for, yeah, for a three, four hour race, you just have to eat a lot and get it down you and everyone feels terrible in the final, but as long as you've, you are carved up somewhat, then you should be able to do the effort. Um, but yeah, it's about getting to that decisive moment of the race in the best place possible that might be an hour in it might be on the first lap or it might be all the way in the final um and yeah how you get to that is everyone's did like you might be a super attacking rider or for me you would maybe try and follow the wheels um i think yeah the way i have been racing road this year would suggest that i would like just to make it hard um at every opportunity and then who's left is who's left but when you go up a level, I don't think that works forever. You have to get a little bit more, a little bit more kind of cunning and, and clever. Speaking of nutrition, what, mm -hmm. um, cause this is something that I think a lot of amateurs struggle with is they don't eat enough or they don't know what to eat or when to eat. Um, do you have a specific plan going into like per hour carbs or what's kind of your strategy? Uh, 
Yeah, so I haven't. I didn't really do much road racing this summer, and it was, yeah, the first I'd done. So I didn't really know where to start with. I just kind of filled my pockets with bars and gels. Didn't touch the gel, the bars at all because I had absolutely no time. At every point, I felt like I was just like like squeezing onto the handlebars for dear life. So I was no chance. I was opening a bar. Um, but for the road races, I were I was doing quite short, like two to three hours. Whereas for the national British national champs was going to be like four hours plus. Um, so I did, yeah, just a little bit of thought beforehand about like, yeah, when we get to this point in the race, this pocket should be empty or um, I should have changed bottles this amount of time. Um, and yeah, it wasn't really, I was kind of just going off the carbs and everything that I would do in like a hard training session. Um, and I think, yeah, as you race more, I think you'll, you'll understand that. So like in the first few road races, I was feeling a little bit kind of bonked at the end because yeah, I was running out of, out of kind of, yeah, energy. Um, but it's because I wasn't really drinking enough because I was thinking about those other things, but yeah, as you get more relaxed in the bunch, I feel like it's a load more easier to get, get that in. And you see it in like in the world tour, when you see in the team cars, the DS is always just like eat and drink, eat and drink, eat and drink over the radio because you just need to be reminded all the time, especially when it's cold and you don't want to go in your pockets and all this stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, people always say, you know, this is on a much smaller level, but like for unbound or dirty cans of the gravel yeah. race, that it's a, it's an eating competition and yeah. not a racing competition. And I'm saying, and that's yeah. the same thing with a world world tour. I would imagine those stages, yeah. you know, it's just how much can you eat every day to be ready for the next day? Yeah. It's like, yeah. For those like, yeah. Froome and Pogacar and all this, it's like, an, it's an eating and sleeping and resting competition. Like what happens on the road happens on the road, everything else. You've, that's what you have control over. And they, the, the best guys do it really, really well. They definitely do. Um, so what about, let's take a step back and let's talk about, you've had some adversity with some, uh, injuries, which have been unfortunate, but you persevered. And I'm sure I would imagine that this, this podium, this past couple of days ago must be a huge win for you. You got to be super stoked on that. Um, do you want to kind of walk us through, you have so many videos, but just kind of what happened and how you're feeling now? Yeah. So my, Yeah my major injuries kind of start uh, about this time last year where I broke my collarbone in, in Belgium. And uh, up until then I'd never broken a bone, never had a real actual setback. Now that I know what a setback is, well, what I think I know what a setback is for my sport in the grand scheme of things. It's yeah, it's maybe not massive, but um, so my collarbone, it was relatively simple. It had no real complications with it. Uh, and then uh, two weeks after I got back racing after that, I tore my meniscus in my knee. So um, that, to be honest, was a lot more complicated than the collarbone because it actually does something. Um, so that was, yeah, like a good few months to, to recover and heal. And then I got fit again, ready for the mountain bike season. And then uh, two days after the first race, I broke my humerus just above my elbow. Um, broke the elbow as well, but the humerus was the main thing. Um, and that needed all kind of put back together and yeah the yeah there were no like oh the doctors were like oh you'll never ride again all this stuff that you see in movies or, or documentaries it was just like this is serious this will take time yeah it's you're gonna need to work hard for it to be at least this good or something like this it's not like a oh, give it time it'll get better it's like yeah you need to do all the things right and yeah, you maybe will have a chance of getting a functional elbow to then go back to what you need to do. Uh, in my head, there wasn't really ever a question of like getting back to what I was doing. It was just like, how hard will it be? How long will it be? That's all I wanted to know is like, when? Because say they say a year, well, okay, cool. Or like six months, cool. Like, is there anything I can do to change that? Yes, no, whatever. So the recovery from that was, yeah, a whole thing. It, it feels like I've been recovering from it all year and it's still not gone away um it's i'd say i'm maybe like 85 95 percent strength in this in this uh, left side so but that's the it'll take a while to get that last like five ten percent but i'm at a point now that i can do everything i could do before so it's uh yeah it's been yeah been ages it feels like but then 
like with everything, it's, it's a new normal. So um, I don't really often think about, oh, what did I feel like this this time last year with no injuries and stuff? You just, but you just, you just normalize it, don't you? Definitely. You have a great video on YouTube that everyone should check out with you kind of go through the highs and lows, you know, unfortunately, mostly lows of you getting back to full strength. Um, and I think that's huge. I think that, um, a lot of riders don't share, you know, the mental side of how they feel about things. And it's only natural, you know, like I'm saying for people, amateurs or weekend warrior riders who whatever, you know, hurt their foot or their hand or whatever it is, and they can't ride and how, how down that makes them feel and overcoming that. And for you to be at the top of the level and going through this and bouncing back, I think that's great for people to to see and you persevering and you touched on this earlier with like the mental side of things. Mm-hmm. And it seems like, um, and correct me if I'm wrong here, that it's, it's kind of in that sense on the mental side made you a stronger rider now. Yeah. I think, yeah, if all that stuff hadn't happened, I would be where I would be in, in some way or another, but through a different route. I think, yeah, this route that I've got to, here with has yet taught just taught me things on the way so um yeah i guess i can be grateful for that I'm, I'm happy to see you out there cool thank you so what's um so you got european champs this weekend what's the do you have a specific goal for the season is it is it is it world well we talked about world champs we don't know about the selection fingers crossed what what is what do you have a specific goal for the season outside of that um well a few weeks ago, the goal for the season was to just try and find my level again. Uh, but very quickly, I realized that my level is totally above where I thought it was. Uh, so that's a nice way to start the season is realizing that, yeah, I'm like I'm at the top, near the top. So I'm now then thinking, well, what do I need to do to stay there? Or what do I need to do to find that next little bit? Um, but what we're kind of defaulting back to is that, yeah, what we're doing is working. So there's no really need to, to rethink anything or to, yeah, I think that things need a big change. So yeah, my main goals going into the season were the world cups, the European champs, and then uh, world champs also with an eye on 2022 um, because of my injury and recovery um, long-term is always better. So um, if, yeah, so for example, around that American trip at the start of the season, there was an argument that actually long-term, if I wasn't 100% ready for that, then I would maybe start the cross-season on the back foot and then that could affect next year. Um, whereas giving myself a little bit more time starting the cross-season as I have and then, yeah, kind of progressing into 2022, uh, just trying to keep ahead of ahead of the game and making sure that I'm as, as good as I can be because, yeah, the reality is I'll be finishing cross around yeah around world champs and then having a relatively short break and then working on my mountain bike and my road so um with that in mind yeah at the even at the moment trying to think like how do i best prepare for that and just trying to yeah keep on keep on top of things what about to further complicate things is there any interest in doing some of the the uci gravel races yeah there is so it's something i've started to think about and when i started to plan it out i realized there's a lot to be done uh, with gravel, with road and with mountain bike and then all the other gravel events that there are. Um, so whereas with cross, I think it's a lot easier to plan for because the season is quite linear. It's mostly the like it's a little bit different with the way they've changed the World Cups, but mostly it's still the same. You race every weekend and you, you have maybe a couple of weeks off in the middle of the season and then you continue through. Whereas creating my own program for next year with mountain bike world cups with UCI level, uh, road racing with this new gravel series. Um, it's kind of, yeah, it's, it's like what Van der Poel and Wout Van Aert and Pidcock have had to do is be the first to do something, which, yeah, there's no, there's no ground rules. There's no pre- pre- like precedent already. Um, so yeah, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but I think, if we plan well, then yeah, I think it's possible to to race all the disciplines next year. That's great. That's exciting. I'm looking forward to watching you on all the races. Uh, I think it is good. I'm, yeah, there's, I don't think there's any information about the gravel at the moment yet. It's literally just kind of the headlines and that's it. Uh, so, I, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how that comes about. And as well with that, there are, there's just no ground 
ground rules of like who's a good gravel rider, which I think is super interesting. So myself coming from a cross mountain bike background, and there's well, there are so many strong marathon mountain bike riders that can compete with these road guys. So I think that kind of clashing of uh, of disciplines will be very interesting. You know, I did hear, I could be way off here, but that the rumor is that the world champ for gravel would be in the US. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know, maybe that was announced, but um, but yeah. No, I'd, I'd like to see that. I think the British gravel champs that I did this year in September, uh, they have plans to be one of the World Series events, uh, qualifying events next year. Um, so the idea is you do that and then as an amateur or a professional, you then can uh, qualify for the world world champs, which yeah, it would make sense being in America with it being where the people are and where the money is. So. Um, switching gears here, social media side of things, like you've you've had you have this amazing following on YouTube. How long have you been doing the the, the videos? Uh, yeah, all forever. Yeah, like. I asked for like a video camera when I was maybe nine, 10 and just got like this tiny little, like, uh, yeah, it'd be like from target in American type, uh, comparison, just, I don't know, it must be like 20, 30 quid, but it did, it was fully waterproof, which meant I could go out and like put it in rivers and like jump over it on my bike and stuff. And just from watching like Danny McCaskill and like all of the Red Bull mountain bike stuff and rampage and all of this, that's what I wanted to do. Uh, and yeah, up until I really got into my racing, that's all I, I just wanted to be like a Red Bull athlete and to, uh, be like Dan McCaskill and just make videos and just get paid to do that. That's what I wanted to do for my job. Uh, but I realized that that's quite a specific, uh, career path and actually normally comes from doing something else and then coming into it. Um, but yeah, just, and then when, when I started to race more and more, and then started to get opportunities to go to different countries. It just made sense that I would, yeah, video it. And cause I enjoy the process and then also enjoy watching it after. Awesome. Well, it seems like now Red Bull's, you know, expanding into so many different uh, sports here. There's still an opportunity. Well, yeah, maybe I think, yeah, they have Tom at the moment with cyclocross. Uh, so I think maybe that seat is a little bit filled, but Hey, there's always, there's always gravel. And I think, Red Bull in America show that gravel is, there's a lot to be, a lot to be uh, made in that. Yeah. So, um, with social media and being a professional cyclist, do you think that there's a huge, like, how do you think those two go hand in hand? Um, well, they go well because we're doing cool things and that's what kind of social media is. You like, you share cool things and in, you're in a, in a position that people idolize you and want to do what you're doing. So by showing it off, you've got an opportunity to engage with people and stuff. Cause yeah, if, if what I was doing was super boring and no one liked, then social media wouldn't make much sense. But, uh, so I've realized, I mean, if that's a lot of the reason why people follow me is cause they, they see in that, like, Oh, I want to, I want to do that. Especially like my following is very under 18. Um, and which I think comes mostly from the YouTube side because um, that's that kind of audience. Whereas your traditional cyclocross rider, definitely in Belgium, their kind of tire market is like, yeah, middle-aged man or women. Um, and yeah, those type of fans don't really know who I am because they don't watch YouTube. So that's like my main outlet is really YouTube um, because I'm, I'd say I'm the on, one of the only kind of, people at this level doing cyclocross with YouTube. And if you're the only person to do it, then people are going to watch. So, um, that's, yeah, that's where a lot of people know me from. That's great. Yeah. And I think, do you consider that then to be like a part of the job or is it still just doing it for fun? Um, on all of like on the team I am at the moment, it's a, it's a bonus, but it's not, it's not, uh, really high priority. Like for example, this week I've got, yeah, I've got two videos to edit, I guess, from Overrise and Koppenberg, but I haven't even started them yet. So, like, the sometimes it's in a priority, sometimes it's not. Um, definitely, if I was to go, yeah, further along in my career, an editor would be the kind of next thing to edit videos. Um, but I don't know how much I would want to give away my kind of video production side of things because 
the reason I like it is because I do it. So I don't know if if I could give it away to someone else to edit or to produce. But um, yeah, for now, it's, as you say, it's just that balance. Like when I'm training right, and at home and all of that, like making videos is great. It's a great way to pass time. Um, but it goes a little bit to the bottom of the pile when there's other things, other things on. Understandable, yeah. Cameron, I kept you for an hour. Thank you so much for chatting. Best of luck this weekend. Um, I'll be checking, you know, Cyclocross 24 to see the results. And, um, and yeah, maybe we can catch up in the future sometime. Yeah, no, anytime. Thank you very much. All right, thanks. Enjoy the rest of your day. Go. Cool. See you, man. See you, Bye. mate.